Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Let's invite John up. He's going to bring the word for us. And let's pray for John as he brings the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through through your word, that you have um, your word is living and active, and it goes into our hearts and makes a difference when we hear it. God, give us ears to hear it today. Give John the words, your words, by your Holy Spirit to speak to us, um, and that we would have ears to hear and our hearts would receive it, and we would be doers of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, for those who, who are new, haven't been around for the last several weeks, we've been looking at, well, shorthand is sort of what things make God happy. Because during the summer, we've been looking at the joy of the Lord and how God brings his joy into our lives. But fundamentally, we find our joy in the things that delight God. And we've seen that God delights in exercising kindness, his covenant love and his mercy, and justice and righteousness in all the earth. It says in Jeremiah 9, 24, for in these I delight. And one of the places that we can see the delight of God is in the things that he then commends in our lives, the things that God rewards, show us things that he delights in. And this morning, we're going to take a dive into one of the things that Jesus has to say about what really is going to matter when it's all said and done. How do we live today in a way that when a day comes, when we're standing before the Lord, we receive blessing and inheritance instead of the disappointment of the Lord. And so we're in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And I'd just like to read through that. Here it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was, a, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? And invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you. When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, 
and in prison, and you did not look after me? They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And in such a stark way, Jesus is communicating something to us about what really matters here and now, because it's going to matter then and there. Does that make sense? And you catch something in the beginning of the story of Jesus communicating the delight and the pleasure of God in those that he's welcoming and rewarding. I hear, hear the sort of emphasis on the invitation. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. It's the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. And there's just a joy being expressed there in people who shared his heart. And somehow, guys, apparently heavenly inheritance is connected to the simple acts of caring for so-called insignificant people with whom Jesus identifies. And Jesus here, notice he says he's got nothing to say about grandiose acts of faith, doing miracles, preaching to many people, big acts of generosity, big personal sacrifice. No, you know, there's there's so many kinds of actions and activities that get the attention of people in the world and in society, things that society regards as impressive. But what Jesus seems to be looking at here, he's putting the focus on how we treat the people that society tends to overlook. And this church, man, this church is full of stories of people who are doing this kind of stuff day in and day out, week in and week out. This church is full of people who are quietly doing acts of loving service for other people, people who go out of their way to bless and care for and serve others in ways that a lot of people don't notice, but I want you to know it's attracting the attention of Jesus. Jesus is noticing that. And I want us to understand that part of what makes us who we are at Mercy Hill, it's not just, these aren't just charitable actions that nice people are doing. No, it's, it's part of our, it's our identity. It's who we are because of who Jesus is. Because this church is full of people where you don't think you're awesome because you're helping somebody, but instead you're actually doing more for Jesus than you realize you are. And and in this issue, for us as a church, these aren't projects that we do. There's not signups every Sunday for how to serve your neighbor because it's an overflow of our identity. You see, one of the evidences of the life of God being real in your life and in my life is that God moves us to care about people besides ourselves. There's something very naturally self-centered about each of us. But one of the hallmarks of the life of God in us is we start considering other people more important than ourselves. And caring for others, it's at the heart of who we are here at Mercy Hill because of Jesus Christ alive in us. And there's a few particular things that I think some of us would say, well, yeah, I know that. But let's underline it. Let's emphasize it. And let's let it sink in for us here. First is what's sort of obvious in this parable is is that Jesus receives what we do or what we don't do to the least of these 
has done for himself. For himself. It's not somehow separate. He's not like, you took care of them on behalf of me. He said, you did it for me. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something. Lord, when did we see you hungry? Jesus is saying, no, you did it for them. But when you did, I received that. That was me that you did it for. And that's what I mean as I talk about how so many in this church are consistently serving the needy, serving and helping others. You're doing it for Jesus himself. Not just on behalf of Jesus, but to Jesus himself. And here's why. And let this sink in. It's because Jesus is incarnated in the least of these. There's a sense in which God has made flesh to us in the people around us who have needs, who have nothing to give us in return. His kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, it not only comes to the least of these, and it does. When Jesus came from heaven, he's walking on earth. He announced at the beginning of his ministry that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the captives. And Christ's kingdom comes and it comes to the vulnerable. It comes to the needy. But this passage is showing us something even more than that. It's this. Christ's kingdom comes through the least of these to you and me. It's not just something that we're putting outward into the lives of others. Christ comes to us personified in people who have needs and don't have anything to give us in return. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. You welcomed me. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. It's easy to be deceived to think somehow that the likeness of God is personified in the rich, in the influential, in the politicians and the business people who seem to pull the strings in the world. Jesus has something completely upside down from that. Now, and it's, it's sad because when you watch many so-called Christian leaders, uh, in our nation and other places today, you think that Jesus was somehow personified in the wealthy, the powerful business people, the politicians, at least based on how these leaders seem to spend their time trying to get on television and having statements and curing influence with these folks. I look at it, and I think it's no wonder that non-Christians in our culture think that the church is superficial and just a shallow bunch of hypocrites who are just trying to do whatever they can to get power and influence in our society. It's hard to blame the world for thinking that behavior doesn't look a lot like Jesus because Jesus himself condemns it. This past Jesus says, I don't, don't have anything to do with you. Go away from me. That's not, you missed me. You know, in church growth strategies, teach us, you know, if you're in church leadership, you get all kinds of information and stuff. And, and, and we're taught, like when we were planting churches, 
uh, here in this area. Mercy Hill was planted 10 years ago. October is going to be an anniversary month. We're not going to pick an anniversary week. We're just going to revel in it, celebrate God's goodness to us throughout the month. It's going to involve food at some points, right? Uh, and some of the stories of how God's worked in lives here. But 10 years ago, when Mercy Hill was being started, we had all kinds of best practices and literatures, folks saying we should be taking surveys in the neighborhood, find out what people are looking for. And if you're going to start a church or attract people to your church, you've got to pay attention to what makes people comfortable, especially people who are a little more affluent. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. Guys, church growth strategies. I don't want to criticize others, but they're not for us. Mercy Hill, brothers and sisters, let's not chase the so-called influential people. Let's welcome those that society neglects and discounts. Because I want to welcome Jesus. Let's keep being a people who find Jesus, the people who may have nothing to give us, and serve him there. You know, little Evangeline Barker, uh, it's not even born yet. She's the presence of Jesus among us. The least of these. God's come to us in special ways. In people that we might otherwise discount. But we have the privilege of a visitation from Jesus. In the babies that, that Mindy's carrying. Just this morning we were praying as a worship team. I, I got, kind of got recruited in. Uh, Heather's homesick. Uh, sorry, with a sick baby. And... I was just so blessed because while we were praying, Tim just started leading us in praying for baby Eva because God's touched us with this. As we care for her, we're caring for Jesus. And don't miss it just because she's still in the womb. In the least of these, Jesus says, it's the privilege of his presence coming in an unexpected form. And what's remarkable about how Jesus tells this story is that somehow the presence of his person is going unrecognized. So, Lord, when did we see you? By those who help and by those who don't help. Both are like, Jesus, I didn't notice you. Jesus is going unrecognized, both by those who do and those who don't help the least of these. In both of these cases, we're seeing Jesus appears in an unexpected form. It's like, what is it with us? We don't expect to find Jesus in the person of needy people. It's one of the ways that the even the Christian conference models and publishing that uh, priorities in our nation are upside down because we keep holding up leaders that are viewed as successful and we're told that we're supposed to imitate them and, and we neglect the least of these. Listen, when, when Jesus talks about what he's commending here, he says, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance prepared for you for the foundation of the world. He doesn't say, for you preach to thousands of people in my name. He's not highlighting and saying, you gave so much money that they named the church building after you. He's not saying you did signs and wonders and you cast out demons and you healed people in my name. He's saying I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was sick and you brought me a meal. You looked after me. You mowed my lawn when I couldn't get out and do it. And there's a sense of surprise even on the part of those who are receiving the reward. And there's certainly surprise 
on the part of those who missed it. The things they thought were important turn out to be worthless in that day. The things they thought didn't matter turn out to be vital. It's like they're saying to Jesus, wait, you didn't say this was going to be on the test. Jesus, we didn't know. Brothers and sisters, we know. Jesus is telling us, don't waste your life on things that won't matter when Jesus returns. But here's the thing. When Jesus is going unrecognized, these people, they say, Lord, when, when did we see you like this? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you a stranger and not invite you in? We've got expectations of how we think the Lord's going to show up to us. We've got an expectation of how we expect the Lord to appear. And watch out. If you're waiting and expecting to recognize Jesus when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and when he sits on his throne, if the Jesus you're looking for can only be showing up and really Jesus to you when he comes in his power and his glory, you're going to miss him today. Because there is a day coming. When Jesus will return in all of his glory with all the angels with him and he will judge all of the nations. But he's saying, I'm here today. And today I'm coming in the person of the hungry, in the person of the thirsty, in the stranger that you don't recognize. That person that you want to walk around on the sidewalk or you roll your window up instead of rolling your window down because they're there at the intersection when you come by. There's a day of Jesus' coming. And when he's unmistakably Lord of all glory, he's coming and he's saying, but I was here all along. I was here all along in the needy. Jesus in the current age today is found in the overlooked humility of the least of these. Here's the mystery. Here's the mystery. We want God to come to us in his strength and his power. Oh, we want him to come as our deliverer and our savior, our rescuer, to drive away all of our enemies and to make all wrong things right for me. But here Jesus is saying, I've already come, but I've come in weakness rather than power. I've come in neediness rather than sufficiency. And the mystery of Christ's humility is that he reveals himself to us, not in moments of power and might, but in weakness humility, vulnerability, and need. And we find the Lord most near when we're embodying his compassion and his heart for the weak. When we respond to those who are in need, for there Christ is once again God incarnate among us. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was an international student struggling to speak the language and find my way around in this culture. And you had me into your home and you treated me like family. I was grieving and you comforted me. I was worried and anxious. And you came over and you sat with me and you prayed. I was an asylum-seeking child in a detention center. And you were willing to care about my welfare. Brothers and sisters, being a Christian must never be reduced to just somehow believing the right things. It's not just an operation that happens in between our ears from the neck up. And then once we think we've got our doctrine right, that we can then put it on cruise control, 
and somehow coast our way into God's approval. Because being a Christian, it's not an intellectual exercise. It is a passionate life of following Jesus, of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, of craving. God, let your kingdom come on earth. Let your will be done here like it is in heaven. To say, Jesus, I want to see you. I want to see your face. I want to be close to you. I want to know you and touch you and walk with you. Because he came, he said, follow me. I don't think Jesus's list is intended to be exhaustive or complete here. You know, but there's enough there for us to catch the drift of what he's getting at, isn't there? Right? He kind of covers the bases. There's nothing in there about where the neediness come from. You know, it's so tempting for us to think that people have earned the situation that they're in. Yeah, well, yeah. You're hungry and you're thirsty. You don't have a roof over your head because you didn't work your job like I worked my job. If you just work harder, you'd be doing better. You know, I'm struck by where he says I was in prison and he came to visit me. Because at least in in Jesus's time, as well as in ours, there's at least two reasons people can end up in prison. One is injustice. One is that people are being imprisoned when they don't really deserve it. It happened in Jesus's time. It happens in our time. And in that time, it can be dangerous. There's a risk involved in identifying with people who are the victims of injustice because the people who are perpetrating the injustice usually are powerful. And if you visited the Apostle Paul while he was in prison, you could end up in prison yourself. There was a reason why Jesus's disciples, why Peter said, I don't know the man. Because we put ourselves at risk when we identify with the victims of injustice. It's also the case you get up in prison because you screwed up. You made some bad choices. Now you're reaping the consequences of what you did. But as far as Jesus is concerned, it doesn't seem to matter how you got there. What matters is what we do for those who are already there. You know, it's easy for us to feel good about ourselves for sending help to India. And doing things that... You know, help and touch other parts of the world. And I do believe it's pleasing to the Lord. Um, let's just make sure we're not overlooking Jesus in our own neighborhood. On your way to work. Where he knocks on our own door. Here. <laughs> Let me tell you about a, a friend. Let's have the next slide. Uh, this is Gary Fenland. Gary has pastored for years and years, LifeLink Church up in Sheboygan, Michigan. It's where Travis went and preached uh, during July. And it'll probably kill me for tagging that particular moment of the screenshot, sorry. Uh, But Gary is a tremendous brother. Uh, And in contrast to a lot of these kind of Christian leaders I was talking about a little earlier, you know, folks who end up on television these days. Look, Gary isn't on TV here because he's decrying the moral decline of our nation or because he's speaking out against some policy. Uh, he's being interviewed because he was trying to start a homeless shelter in his city. And and I think I was homeless and he gave me some place to stay. Could have been on Jesus's list. Right? And it happens that, that Gary is retiring again this fall. I say again because he's been caring for this little church for 
decades now. Uh, he retired from working at UPS about 15 years ago. When he retired, he just kind of gave himself to serving the church full-time. The church has never been able to pay him full-time. Uh, but he's just given himself to it in his first retirement. Now it's time for he and his wife to move closer to their grandkids. They're going to move out of that area. But there's about, currently after maybe 30 years of the church, there's about 30 people at River of Life Church. Next slide, yep, yeah, good. Uh, at River of Life there. And a lot of them, most of the, a lot of the folks in the church, they've come to God, they've come to Christ because of Gary's work in the prison there. Just ministering, visiting prisoners and sharing the good news of Jesus about them. And then when they're out, trying to find a community that'll help them out and, and work it through. You know, Gary is never going to be on the platform of a major Christian conference. He's never going to be simulcast somewhere for a leadership summit and forum. He's not going to have his own video series through a national distributor. But when he, when he finally really, really retires, I mean that day when he stands before the Lord Jesus, I know he's going to have an inheritance. Gary's going to have an inheritance, not because he's pastored a large church, not because he's written so many books. No, but when the Son of Man comes in glory and all of his angels with him, yeah, Gary may have pastored just a little church, but he'll be receiving a great reward because he did it to Jesus. Please don't believe that the, the hype that says the success is found in numbers. It's not founded in what salary you earn, how many square feet your house has, how many people you do this and that for or with, you supervise in your job. It comes down to this one thing. I was fill in the blank and you fill in the blank for Jesus. And that can come in unexpected ways. I, I was I told you the story two weeks ago about Kashia Thomas and we didn't have any electricity in the building. I couldn't show you pictures. In 1996, there was a Ku Klux Klan rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan, of all places. And there was a group of counter demonstrators who were there. Uh, and it so happened that a guy with an SS tattoo, a Confederate flag shirt, shaved head, ended up on the wrong side of the barriers. It ended up in the, among the counter demonstrators. And they started to chase him. He started to run away. They, they continued to chase him. He fell down. And this angry mob some of the counter-demonstrators just started to beat him up. They were kicking him and hurting him. And Kashia, 18-year-old student, threw herself, go ahead, yeah, she threw herself, put her own body on top of this guy to protect him from the others who were, who were beating on him. And just You can just cycle through those. It's, it's not what she would have expected to put her own body in harm's way to protect a white supremacist from people like herself. But Jesus says, you've done it unto me. And for several families here in this church, thanks, Adam. For several families here in this church, it involves welcoming into your household children who don't have a functioning family of their own and being Jesus to them because you see Jesus in them. One of the things that the least of these in all the categories and shapes and forms they come in, one of the things the least of these have in common is they have nothing to give us in return. And brothers and sisters, that's what worship is. That's what makes it worship when we're serving the needy or serving the least of these, is that we don't receive a reward from the people that we're serving. One of the things that makes it worship is that we lavish our offering on Jesus 
even though it can look like a waste here and now. Listen, Jesus is, is not promising that everything we do for the least of these is somehow going to turn out in the good way that we wish it would, in the, in the way that we think that it ought to happen. He's not guaranteeing that it's going to turn out well. There's nothing here about the outcome of our actions on behalf of the needy. There's no guarantee that the money that you give someone will be used well by that person. There's no guarantee that the person you're trying to help will be grateful or that they're going to get their life turned around and get out of the situation that they're in. There's no assurance that because of what you or I do for someone that we'll get to see a good outcome in this life. No, he says nothing about the outcome except the one thing that matters most. You did it unto me. The one thing that matters most is that you and I have done it to Jesus himself. Because there's no better guarantee that what you and I do today won't be wasted for eternity than that we've done it for Jesus himself. Because there is nothing that can steal away what's been given to Jesus. Jesus himself has received my offering, my effort, my giving, my listening, my cooking, my caring. He says, you did it unto me. You did that to me. It was me who did it for. That's the assurance that nothing I do for the needy is wasted. That's the assurance that even death cannot steal away. Because the king will reply. The king replies, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Church, don't grow weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Worship Jesus. Be Jesus to people because you can see Jesus in them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, forgive us for having the tunnel vision that keeps us from recognizing you from the self-protective impulses and perspectives and attitudes that lead us to God, it just leave us guarding things that won't last, guarding things that'll be worthless in the last day, potentially leaving ourselves empty-handed before your throne. Oh, Lord, Lord Jesus, help us to recognize you here and now as you come in the humility of the least of these. In Jesus' name. Amen.